Well, welcome to this brand new series that we're beginning this morning in the Song of Solomon, subtitled God's Best for Romantic Relationships. So what we want to do this morning is we want to just simply introduce to you the book. That's the goal. Just introduce the Song of Solomon. And to do so, we want to underscore just three things. If you get these three things, you're going to understand this book, which to many is a mystery. And we're hopefully going to take out some of the mystery and kind of connect the dots and give you an understanding of this amazing book. So we're going to look at the purpose, the people, and the principles in this book. Okay, so let's just start off. Let's talk about the purpose of this book. Why? Has God given to us this book in the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon? Why is this book in the Bible? Well, let me ask you this question. Where do you personally turn for answers to your deepest questions about just relationships? I mean, questions like, what should I look for in a mate? I mean, what should I look for in the person that I would consider marrying? Why and how should I date? I mean, how do you go about dating, really? How do I know when I'm ready to get married to that person? When will I know? How do I prepare for a great wedding ceremony? Does the Bible actually talk about that? What are the keys to a great marriage? What is the secret to a fulfilling sex life in marriage? How do I manage conflict when it arises in marriage? How can my marriage not just survive, but I mean actually thrive? And really, you're not going to find those answers uh, on TV (laughs) or in the movies or on the internet. Uh, They're not sometimes even found in those books that promise you answers that we pick up and read. The secrets to a great romance and marriage and sex, watch this, are not actually secrets. They're recorded for us about 3,000 years ago in a book in the Bible, and this book is located in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament contains 39 books, and all of those books are contained within three sections of our Old Testament. There is a historical section, and that contains 17 books, Genesis to Esther, and it contains the history primarily of Israel. And then you have the prophetic section. There are 17 books there. That's Isaiah to Malachi. And that gives us prophecy. And then sandwiched between the historical and the prophetic section is what we call the poetic section. And that's five books. We call this wisdom literature, wisdom from God above to help us deal with life issues below. And Job, that's one of the wisdom books that helps us deal with how can God be a good God but allow, but, but allow evil and still remain sovereign? And then you have the book of Psalms that deals with the theme of God and, and His worship. And then we go into Proverbs and it deals with relationships with people and how to manage areas like your attitude and money and your tongue. And then we come to Ecclesiastes that deals with the mysteries and vanity of life. And then we come to the Song of Solomon. <laughs> What's that book all about? Why is it there? Part of the wisdom literature. Let me answer it by telling you a story. When I 
first saw my wife-to-be, Tracy, it was way back in 1984. And the place was Simpson University over in San Francisco. And when I came to Christ in 1981, it was just a real radical life change for me. And I wasn't really super interested in dating and girls. I was just wanting to get to know Jesus, study the Bible. I was a real serious student. I was uh, working at the church here as a youth pastor. I was commuting across the bay to get my bachelor's degree, and then I was working on my master's degree, just kind of a serious student, kind of focused on the Lord, loving ministry. And I remember one day uh, on my way to the library, and I'm walking down this hallway, and it's like 50 yards long, and I've got my briefcase, and I'm going to go up and do some study, (coughs) and I see this girl walking toward me at the end of the hallway. And there's no one in the hallway but myself and her. Last place you think about meeting a girl is at Bible college, okay? And so as she's walking, I'm just like, just kind of like, whoa. And and so we come closer and closer, and I remember, I didn't say a word to her, but I looked up and I just went, incredible. And I kept walking, I turned the corner, and I, I said these words out loud, this strange words, Never come out of my mouth ever since, but, you know, even then, I said out loud, I can't believe they grow them like that in Bible college. (laughs) Strange, I know, I just said that out loud. So I make my way upstairs, I sit down in the library, and I am starting, I'm like, who is that girl? I could not concentrate on my study, I'm just like, Who is that girl? Who is she? I was smitten. I mean, every fiber in my being came on alert. In an instant, these emotions overcame me. I made it to the library, but I could not focus. Who is that girl? You say, what happened after that? Well, you need to come back next Sunday. (laughs) And for the rest of the series to hear the rest of the story. What's the song Solomon all about? Why is it in the Bible? Well, think about it this way. Do you really think that God would have given us, as men and women, these overwhelming feelings like I just described? You've had those before for someone, feelings of an undeniable attraction. And you think God would give us those feelings? He's the one who created those. And then not tell us something about those feelings? Do you think God would have placed within us this undeniable drive for sexual intimacy, which we all have, And then, do you think God would have told us nothing about that incredible gift? Do you think God would have given us the institution as mysterious and challenging as marriage and not told us how it works? Do you think God would have created man and all of his masculinity? And does it make sense? Just think about it. That God would, you know, have failed to tell us, especially as ladies, you know, something about what makes a man tick? Do you think that uh, God would have created the femininity, the beauty, the tenderness, the emotional makeup of a woman and left us, especially as men, clueless about what makes her function? Yep, there's some things God doesn't even quite, you know, really understand. Just joking, just joking, come on. Kind of reminds me of a story that told about God and he's visiting this man who lived a very, very faithful life. And God came to him, and 
he, God said, because of your faithfulness, I've decided to grant you one wish. So the man thought long and hard, and finally the man said, you know, Lord, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm really afraid of flying, and I get seasick, you know, on boats. So is there a way that you could build me a bridge to Hawaii so I could drive my car to Hawaii anytime I want? And the Lord laughed and kind of just said, you know, that's near impossible. You know, think of the logistics, the support beams, the concrete, the rebar going all the way down into the Pacific Ocean. Think about it. Your request, he said, is kind of very materialistic. Uh, it's a little disappointing. I could do it, but it, it's hard for me to justify such a materialistic and worldly thing. Think a little bit harder. Think about something else. So the man thought and thought, and finally he said, Lord, I've got it. I've, I, I've been married now 23 years. I love my wife, but she says that I'm, I'm just insensitive, I'm not caring. So my wish is this, Lord, I want to understand women. I want to know what they think deep inside. I want to know what they're feeling. I want to know why they cry. I want to know what it means when they say nothing. When they give me the silent treatment, I want to understand that. I want to know what it really means when they say nothing. I want to know what makes them truly happy. That's my wish, Lord. Well, after a few seconds, the Lord said, you want two lanes or four on that bridge? <laughs> Why is the Song of Solomon in the Bible? The Song of Solomon, watch this, is God's answer. It's his wisdom. Inspired by God is this manual given to us. It's a manual on love, on marriage, on sex, on romance, on relationships with the opposite sex. Now, if you're like most people, and I think you are, uh, you've probably read parts of the Bible, maybe a lot of the Bible, but maybe you skipped over the Song of Solomon. Or maybe you attempted to read it, okay? Just being honest, you tried to read it, but you just, this is just too difficult. It doesn't make sense to me, Pastor Mark. Uh, it's filled with all this poetic imagery, okay? And it's hard to understand. I, I'll give you that. But here's the thing. When you understand the imagery, the book comes alive as God intended it, and it's incredible. Many people, they just skip over the Song of Solomon. Many churches skip over the Song of Solomon. For centuries, young Jewish boys were not even permitted to read the eight chapters in the Song of Solomon. I mean, this book has the distinction of being the only book to be edited and censured by the church. Most Christians don't read it, if you understand it, if you have ever heard it preached in church until today. And we're going to preach it and teach it verse by verse and, and explain to you the imagery so you understand the beauty of this book. But there is, there is no book more practical and needed for today's culture than this book. I mean, our culture is crying out with questions. It is like dazed in confusion about this topic. And the entire book, all 117 verses, is completely devoted to provide practical and explicit teaching about, watch this, God's best, His best for dating, marriage, intimacy, romance, and a satisfying sex life and marriage. While tabloids and talk shows, they tempt us with empty promises, the Song of Solomon, it just, through its timeless principles, guides us through this 
the perilous paths of dating and to a lifelong fulfilling marriage. I mean, this is God's guide to direct and teach us as men and women about our deepest longings, our deepest desires for relationship. And don't we all desire to love someone passionately and then be loved in return by them with that same intensity? And the Song of Solomon, it, it just it, it is, is the answer for how that can take place. And then how, if you are married, your marriage can rekindle its romance so that it can be romantic throughout the years, regardless of how long you've been married. God tells us. That's the Song of Solomon. The same God who died for our sins and rose from the grave. The same God who calls us to live a holy life. The same God who provides for us wisdom for those who seek that wisdom. That same God is the foremost experts on your need for romance. Your sex drive, your dating life, your current or future marriage. Why would we not think that's the case? Maybe because we've never really studied the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is God's given manual that when we truly live it out and understand it, leads us to this amazing relationship of romance. And it's beautiful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is just a great passage that talks to us about the entire breadth of the Bible. And let's go ahead and just read this scripture. I think it's there in your notes, or maybe we'll come up here, but let's read it out loud. Can we, starting with all scripture, you see that in your notes? Let's read it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now take out your pen and underline teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That's what's going to be happening over these next 14 weeks that are coming your way. This is a 15-part series in total. And there's going to be times you come here and the Lord is going to be speaking to you. He's going to be teaching you and correcting you and sometimes rebuking you and training you in the pathway of romance. And it's, it's amazing, this book is. Why is the Song of Solomon in the Bible? It's God's best for romantic relationships. That's the purpose. Are you interested? All right. Now let's turn to the people in the book. You understand the purpose. God's best for romance. Well, who are the people in the book? If, if this is a book about dating, who's dating who? If this is a book about romance, who's being romantically involved? If this is a book about intimacy and sexual fulfillment, who is being intimate and fulfilled? And how does it all unfold? Now, if you understand this summary statement, which I'm going to give you, it will really help you understand this book when you read it. So here's the statement, okay? One couple, eight chapters eight scenes. If you get that, you get this book. It's about one couple, there are eight chapters, and there are really eight scenes of their romance that, that emerge. And these eight scenes are all related to their attraction, dating, courtship, wedding, sexuality, and marriage. Eight power-packed and very explicit chapters on the topics of love and intimacy 
And they're featuring these eight close-up scenes. In two chapters, we watch the couple fight. <laughs> I mean, we get to watch them fight, and then we see how they resolve their conflict. A lot of marriages are great at the fighting part, but not at the conflict resolution part. And that's what we see in Song of Solomon. We will encounter the entire scope of their romantic and their sexual relationship. We're going to see their first meeting, their dating, their courting, their wedding, their passion and marriage. The book showcases their sexual life in marriage. There are two sex scenes in this book. And guess what? It's going to make you sweat. <laughs> We're going to study it verse by verse. You're going to just see everything unfold. And here's the amazing thing. This is God's Word. God has given to us these descriptive passages to showcase and exalt marital affection as part of God's divine plan for holy marriage. It's beautiful. The book takes marriage, and it shows it as something that's holy. It takes desire, and it likens this woman to a young gazelle and the man to a stag. That's the poetic imagery. And we're going to see how this man and this woman, they want each other, but it's cast in holiness. There's this desire and passion that they have for one another, and it's seen as normal and, and appropriate in the right context. And then we're going to see this couple. They deepen in their marriage. They mature in their relationship. And we're going to see this couple grow. And in the last chapter is a chapter about devotion unto death. It's beautiful. So the Song of Solomon portrays eight stages of romantic love. And the book honors marriage and the joys of wedding love. Now, the key word throughout the whole book is lover. That's the key word. It's used 32 times. And it depicts the love of a man for the woman and the love of a woman for the man. If you are married, this series is for you. If you are single, this series is for you. If you have teenagers, this DVD series is for you to give them. Let them watch it and then please discuss it with them or watch it with them and discuss it as you go along. We're recording this right now, so welcome those of you who are watching this on DVD. It's fantastic. Song of Solomon was written, and watch this, to be studied and learned, watch this, when you are single. It prepares you for the stages that lead up to and how to have God's best for marriage when you get married. This is all foundation that should be understood by us when we're single so that we're ready to go into marriage with this understanding. Now, if you're married and you never learned it, you're going to be blessed by it. But especially is this for young people. Especially is this for you if you're single. So the drama portrays one couple, eight chapters, eight scenes. Now, who is the couple that is romantically involved. And this is special. The man is Solomon. Now, Solomon's name appears seven times in the book. Actually, take your Bibles, turn to the Song of Solomon. Go ahead and find it. I want to point out a few things so that when you begin reading it, like I want to encourage you to read it this week, the whole book. It's just eight chapters. This introduction is going to help you understand it. You're still going to be thrown off by the imagery, and that's all right. But you're going to understand some things, and when you understand that the man who is in love is Solomon, it helps. Now, his name appears seven times in the book, but he is also referred to as the lover in the NIV subtitles throughout the book. So when you go to like chapter one, 
you see beloved, beloved, that's the woman. We're going to talk about her. But when you see lover, that's Solomon speaking. And you can see lover mentioned all throughout. That's Solomon speaking. Solomon was the son of King David. Solomon was the third king of Israel who reigned over the United Kingdom for 40 years, from 971 to 931 B.C. And if we were to take our Bibles and we were to go to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 14, you don't need to do that, but if you want to write it down, you can, 1 Kings 3. This gives an important insight into Solomon's life. God came to Solomon, and remember God asked him a question, right? God said what? And there at Gibeon, he said, what would you like me to give you? Whatever you want, Solomon. God asked Solomon, ask for any wish. And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom like no other man. Wow. Read about it. And it talks about, after that, all the things that Solomon did and, and what he wrote. He wrote a, a thousand and five songs. This is one of his songs, and we're going to learn about that song in just a second. So the man is Solomon. Now, a question naturally arises, which I'm sure you've been thinking about, how could Solomon write a book about marriage? I mean, this guy had like over 700 wives, and the answer is, who would know better than Solomon? Now, what, just listen to my reasoning a little bit. I'm going to back you into an argument here, or, or a conclusion in a second. But oftentimes, it's the person who spent the most time kind of like on the bad side who God uses to write about the good. You think about this. We have in the Bible a book about worship. It's called the Psalms, written by David, a guy who committed adultery and actually killed someone. We have 13 epistles of the New Testament written by a guy named the Apostle Paul who killed the first Christian. Solomon calls his book the Song of Songs, or other Bibles title it the Song of Solomon. And, and, and Solomon, he wrote 1,005 musical works, but this song, this relationship was his greatest. It was his greatest achievement. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to say something was really tremendous, great, amazing, awesome, you would double the attributes, such as when you read through the book of Isaiah, king of kings. That's like the superlative of king. And this is what Solomon is doing when it's song of songs. This is saying, Solomon is saying, this is my greatest song. This is the greatest thing I've ever written. Out of the 105 songs, this was his greatest song. This was his greatest accomplishment. This was his greatest love. The book reflects the essence of Solomon. It's not the illicit story of one of Solomon's many wives or concubines. This is the story of the gal that Solomon met and fell in love with. And this book, inspired by God, describes the essence, the beauty of love done God's way. And it's an amazing manual for us to follow. It's a masterpiece on romance. So the, the person, the man romantically involved is Solomon. Now, let's talk about the woman. The woman in love is the Shulamite maiden. Now, outside of Solomon's book, we really know very little about her. 
Uh, we call her the Shulamite maiden because of chapter 6 and verse 13, where Solomon says, oh, Shulamite, he's speaking to her. That's the only reference we have to who she is. She's mentioned only once in the book, but she's referenced throughout the book as the beloved, again, in the NIV subtitles. You see that when you look there. Whenever you see beloved and then the words follow after, that's her speaking. Now, next Sunday, we're going to learn more about her background. But for now, I've just got to give you a little bit of background into her story because her story is absolutely amazing. Most likely, this Shulamite maiden, she grew up as a child in the town of Shunem. Now, Shunem is three miles north of Jezreel in Lower Galilee. If you go with me to Israel, here's a picture. I will take you to Shunem, and this is modern-day Shunem where she grew up. You can even see some vineyards here. We're going to spend some time here when I take you to Israel. You will see this place. And some suggest that the Shulamite maiden was Abishag, the Shunamite who cared for David in 1 Kings 1, 1 through 4. That's remotely possible, but really not probable. Most likely, because of what we know about the Shulamites from the Song of Solomon, this book, the Shulamite maiden was most like an unknown, obscure maiden from Shunem, whose family had most likely been employed by Solomon. Solomon, you see, he owned a vineyard in a place called Baal Haman. We know that from chapter 8, verse 11. Solomon was wealthy. He's the king. And he owns this vineyard. And this vineyard was in Shunem or not far from Shunem, named Baal Haman. And Solomon employed a family of keepers to tend the vineyard, vine workers, gardeners. And this family consisted of a mother, two sons, and two daughters. The Shulamite was the older of the two daughters, along with her little sister, chapter 8, verse 8. And the Shulamite, literally, this is the first Cinderella story. It's in the Bible. This is the original Cinderella love story. The Shulamite was naturally very beautiful, chapter 1, verse 5. We'll study this later. But she was very much so unnoticed. Her brothers were likely half-brothers, chapter 1, verse 6, and they treated her harshly. They worked her um, with, with we're gonna, we'll, we'll uncover that later, but they worked her hard, and they made her work in very difficult uh, conditions, tending the vineyard, giving her very little time to care for her personal appearance. One day, coming to Shunem is this handsome stranger. He comes to visit the vineyard. And it was Solomon, watch this, in disguise. He showed an interest in her, and she became embarrassed concerning her appearance. She took him for a shepherd and asked about his flocks. And he answered very evasively. I think he was playing with her and thought it funny that she didn't recognize, nor did the family, who he was. But, but he was taken, as she was just so uh, sincere and honest, Solomon was literally taken by her beauty and her attitude, and literally he was smitten in love just in that moment with her. And he promised her future visits. He promised her, actually, gifts for the future. And literally, 
he won her heart to him. She was also taken by him. And, and he, she was given the promise that one day he would return. And you read through the book, and she dreams of him at night. And sometimes she thought that he was near. And then finally, one day, you got to come back next week to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> now, most scholars believe, as I believe, that the Shulamite maiden was Solomon's first wife before he sinned by adding 699 other wives and 300 concubines. That's a different story, but that's past the book and the experience of the Song of Solomon. The, the Song of Solomon gives us this portrait of holy love, a love that's pure and distinct from others, a love that involves the lives of two people deeply committed to God's way. This is a song about a young woman from a very lowly place who fell in love with a prince, and he fell in love with her. And this, as we will see, is that original Cinderella story inspired by God, not by Disney. It's beautiful. So who are the people in the book? One couple, eight chapters, eight scenes featuring the Shulamite and Solomon, inspired by God so we can discover God's best for our romantic relationships. Now let's talk about the principles from the book. There are eight timeless principles that emerge for experiencing God's best in romantic relationships. Eight scenes, eight principles. And when we learn these eight principles that flow directly from these eight scenes, that literally flow verse by verse as we will study this book, it'll take us 14 future sessions to uncover and unveil everything. What we discover is the composite is God's best for romantic relationships. You say, what are the eight principles? I'm going to give you an overview of them right now, and then we're going to go into deep detail on these in the future. The first is this. We see the arts of attraction in chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I mean, think about it. Attraction is where all romance begins. Through the eye gate, you see him, you see her, and sparks. Now, the Bible has much to say about the art of attraction. Next session, when we meet, we're going to talk about what to look for in a man. And then after that, what to look for in a woman. Because some of us have never been trained or understood what God says about what you should look for in a man, what you look, should look for in a woman. And if we mess up on just the art of attraction, we don't know how to navigate that, our romance is going to struggle. I mean, this is given all of these stages so that if you get a foundation and understanding of them, they will lead you into great romance. Next is the art of courtship, or the art of dating, I should say. Chapter 1, verse 9, through chapter 2, verse 7. What does God say about dating? He actually says a lot. How do you date? Well, we're going to talk about it. We take it's two sessions to talk about this. Because some of us still struggle. We're adults, and we, how do you date? We're going to, we need to understand that if we're going to navigate through all the challenges and actually experience romance God's way. The third is the art of courtship, chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 5. And we'll distinguish what, or make a distinction between dating and courtship. What's the difference? How do you court well? We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the art of ceremony, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. Does the Bible speak about how to have a great wedding ceremony? It, it does. 
It really does. Then the art of intimacy, chapter 3, verse 12 through chapter 5, verse 1. Here's where we're going to spend two sessions on how to have great sex. That's literally what we're going to talk about. What we see emerge out of this is incredible principles from God on intimacy. Then there's the art of conflict, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to talk about why conflict happens, but more importantly, how do you resolve conflict? Let me tell you, if you're in conflict right now and it's unresolved, your romance is going, it's just shrinking. And it's so important that we understand the principles of conflict resolution. Every marriage is going to face conflict. The question is, do you know how to navigate through it? Because if you don't, your romance is going to suffer. And then we're going to talk about the art of romance, chapter 7, verse 1 through chapter 8, verse 4. This is beautiful, this section. It's all these amazing tips on how to continue to feed this whole atmosphere of romance for your relationship. And then there's the art of commitment, chapter 8, verses 5 through 14. And we're going to talk about what does a a love look like that lasts for a lifetime and actually doesn't go out with a fizzle, but with an exclamation point of romantic passion and love into your 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s. It's amazing, the Word of God. God's best for romantic relationships comes, watch this, to the person who, watch this, learns, learns the art of attraction, learns the art of dating, courtship, ceremony, intimacy, conflict resolution, romance, and commitment. If you are in the dark about the art of attraction, dating, courtship, ceremony, intimacy, conflict, romance, and commitment, your relationships and romance will remain in the dark. That's what the Bible reveals. If you are stuck, if you get stuck at one of these stages and you don't know how to fight or work through that stage, if you're stuck in one of these stages, your romance is going to get stuck. And some of you feel stuck. I mean, just I, I talk to enough couples, enough individuals, and where they're transparent and open and honest. Yes, every marriage, you go through seasons. But if you've been stuck and you just, you've been stuck for a while, you've just been stuck way too long, God is going to speak to you and give you insight to work through that, to get unstuck so your romance can be what God wants it to be. You know, Jesus said this in John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? This is the truth about romance. When you know it, it sets you free. Some of you are just like, Mark, you don't understand my marriage, my situation, my past. God does. Have you ever just taken a look at this book and understood God's principles? He is going to encourage you. He's going to give you hope and insight that's going to set you free. This series, it might possibly be one of the most important series of messages you will ever hear. For Watch this, your own life, for your dating life, and especially for your kids. So you can equip them. Your kids need insight from you as a parent into their life. This will equip you to help them navigate through these stages. This series is so important for your current marriage. 
or for your future marriage. Solomon called this book the Song of Songs. The wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit, called this book his greatest achievement. It deserves our attention. I call it God's best for romantic relationships. As I've studied it over the years, I'm just like, this is just God, your best for romantic relationships. So next Sunday, we begin in verse 1. So I hope you're going to be with us. I really do. I hope you bring someone else with you that needs it. Before I pray, I, I really believe in giving credit to where credit is due. My preparation has been greatly impacted by Tommy Nelson's book, The Book of Romance, Herbert Lockyer's book, Love is Better Than Wine, John Trent's book, A Love for All Seasons, multiple study articles and study Bibles have helped me as well, and, and maybe the greatest help in all of this is my wife, Tracy, my personal, lovely Shulamite. Wow. I'm so grateful. Is that like points right there? <laughs> oh, I love it. We're going to have so much fun. I can't wait. I've got so many stories. God's teaching me. I'm learning. I'm so learning, you guys. You know, let's pray for each other. Pray for me that the Lord will just give insight. This is such an important area. It really is for all of our lives. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching this on video. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us a book in the Bible that, Lord, I don't know, just maybe is not given the attention that it's due, and it talks to us about something that I think all of us crave and we're wired for. You created us. Uh, you're a romantic God. Romantic love comes from you. And so, thank you that you've actually given us a book, an entire book in the Bible that not only talks about this didactically, but actually gives us a portrait from a relationship with Solomon and the Shulamite. And we just see it unfold almost like a movie. And it's really profound, Lord. And I pray that somehow as we meet, Lord, that you would take uh, this, your word, and just make it come alive in our hearts to transform even our current relationships or future relationships, that you'd give us the insight we need, Lord, to move forward with your plan for our lives. And, and so would you just say, maybe you'd just talk to the Lord right now a little bit, just a prayer, God, help me to receive from you out of this what you want. Give me the hope I need. Just thank the Lord, and then would you just kind of commit yourself to maybe this study, being here, taking this in. Would you just talk to the Lord about that? He hears the desire of your heart. Talk to him. Thank you, Lord, that you've heard that prayer. You see our hearts. You're a good God. Thank you for the answers you will provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.